my my BFF and I like we've been talking forever about putting like doing an annual New York trip just to like eat. This is like our like middle aged lady thing now. <laughs> <laughs> you should do the whole white. You should do the whole white gloves and then go to the plaza for tea. Oh my god! Yeah, if we cared about any of that, yes, that's exactly what we would do. <laughs> We took a nice little break there. We did. It's been a minute. A lot has happened. So much has happened. I mean, should we talk about the biggest thing that happened? Let's get to it. Oh, my God. Okay. So several (laughs) people have asked us to talk about the slap heard around the world. And at this point, we're at the time of our recording, we're about a week and a half out. So all of the think pieces and all the commentary has been written. Much ink has been spilled about it. But we're late. We are but. late. But um people have asked us to talk about it and I think we both have there's just so much to unpack here and yeah. uh that's what we enjoy. So let's get into it. I feel like people are asking for us to talk about it because you're such an avid Oscar watcher. Award shows in general. It is true. It is my religion. And so when this happened, Mm -hmm. my first thought was to text you. But the context, of course, was that um, this is like the one Oscars that you missed because you're on the road. I was on the road. Yes. Of all of the Oscars to miss, which I have not missed in like, it's been, it's been probably 15 years since I missed one live. And the one, it's it's like you cast a curse upon the show, right? By not watching. My it's very like, absolute, yes. One time. Well, cursed first and then it was boring as shit, apparently, for the first uh-huh. several hours. And then all of a sudden this happened and like then nobody knew what to do. Well, how did you find out about it? I, I want to know about that. Um. So I was driving to Rochester, New York with my family and we mm-hmm. got in pretty late, like 11 o'clock. And after we put the kids down, my spouse was like, hey, um, <laughs> I'm reading about the Oscars, and apparently Will Smith punched Chris Rock, like got up from his seat and punched Chris Rock. And I was like, what are you talking about? So then I went to the New York Times like live coverage, and I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. Crazy. Yeah. And then this was the interim. I read about it in the moment in between when it happened and before he won. Right. So it was this awkward, like we, he's probably going to come back Mm -hmm. on stage and what's, what's that Mm -hmm. going to be. And then that also turned out to be just a hot mess. So. I was surprisingly upset. I was really upset. Yeah. And I didn't know, it took me a while to kind of like process or understand what was at the root of it. Mm -hmm. I like had an immediate visceral reaction. I was really pissed off at Will Smith. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, chatting with a bunch of friends about it, you know, and yeah, like I didn't think it would become this think piece after think piece and think piece and like layers upon layers. And, you know, I, you know, like it's, it was interesting to kind of read everyone's like, you know, what they're bringing up because I feel like I learned a lot Mm -hmm. about it, Mm -hmm. but I don't think my core reaction has really changed. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe, I became a little bit more careful about how I expressed it because initially I was just like, like, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. What a dumbass. Mm-hmm. What is he doing? <laughs> like, I was so upset, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And so, yeah, I, I wanted I wanted to hear what your immediate reactions were and like kind of like how you sat, how it sat with you. Oh, I mean, the layers, right? Because like, I feel like my reaction was the same as yours. Like, it is so upsetting. Like, yeah. violence is objectively upsetting. And especially when it's coming from like, the most likable person in Hollywood and somebody who has been incredibly careful about crafting an image of himself as the most likable person in Hollywood. Super nice, super clean, doesn't curse when he raps because his grandma didn't want him to. You know what I mean? Like it that the just the the juxtaposition between those things was all so jarring, right? But mm-hmm. then also like I immediately thought about his memoir, which he wrote last year and did a ton of press for. And like the core, like the central thesis of this memoir is that he his whole life, he he had he had this formative moment in his childhood where he saw his dad hit his mom and mm-hmm. he did nothing to defend her and his whole life has formed around this moment where he wanted where he felt like such a coward and he has now formed this persona around himself to prevent himself from ever feeling that way again from ever being mm-hmm. the coward and from all the shame he felt from never defending his mom. So you can draw a very clear line between that memory and what happened at the Oscars, right? Because Chris Rock made a shitty joke about his wife, and he did what he was unable to do when he is nine, which is that he stood up for his wife. But he did it in the most public of forums, in the most violent of ways. Mm-hmm. And then this is a, just a, a bad situation for everyone, right? Because Chris Rock is also not blameless here, right? The joke was, it, I mean, objectively, it was not a good joke. G.I. Jane is a movie that came out, what, like in the 90s? Like it is so past being relevant. So that was also rough. But And, and so, yeah, Chris Rock is also not totally the victim here. But like the... I mean, Will Smith's response to it was so completely beyond the pale, right? And then he had a moment to apologize, right? Because he was gonna win this Oscar. It's been very clear from all of the, you know, the all the award shows leading up to this that this Oscar was his. And he had a moment, an opportunity, and a whole fucking team of people. His publicist was there, like, to help him craft what could have been an apology, um, what could have been some kind of acceptance of responsibility and denunciation of violence and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But instead he goes up there and he is fully in tears, which I can, I mean, I can understand that. Like how, how can anybody process what's happening? Least of all him, right? Most of all him. Um, but then he, he says all this stuff about love and putting violence in the language of love is like peak abuser shit. Yeah. And, that is what I found the most distressing and like making himself out to be like, again, making this whole like life imitating art thing where like kind of like I'm just doing what Richard Williams would have done. I was like, what are you, what are you doing, dude? Like it was just right. such a mess. And like I just above all the feeling that I have is just sadness. Right. Because like this mm. is clearly a dude who like needs to work out some shit. Um, so, yeah, it just made me really sad. Is the moral of the story? Great point about the abuser language. I think that really touches on a nerve. Again, like I said, I had this immediate reaction, mm-hmm. and 
even afterwards, I I was shocked at like that I wasn't alone. Mm-hmm. That this really did strike some kind of nerve. This wasn't just some like, you know, we've seen some crazy things happen. Not maybe not so much at the Oscars, but like MTV Music Awards. Mm-hmm. You know, like all all kinds of things in the public sphere mm-hmm. when it comes to celebrities. Like, why did this one seem to just like it knocked like Ukraine off of the front page yes. for like a, a brief second, totally. which is like ridiculous Bananas. on its face, right? <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, it definitely touched some kind of nerve. And I was really trying to unpack and kind of un- understand why. And definitely this abuser language, like using love as as some kind of an excuse for, for you know, taking violence mm-hmm. was really, really upsetting to mm-hmm. me. And then I think not so different. I, I mean, it's not like, I, could, I think somewhat related to that. And I think this is for me, the crux of the issue, which I've been able to figure out. Is this idea of like even like all of the things about like masculinity and what it means to what it means to defend your wife, mm, right? Mm-hmm. So I've seen a lot of takes where it was like, oh, I I don't condone it, but I understand it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like I understand what he did, and so I'm not actually that mad at him mm-hmm. for what he did because, and you know, and I, I think this has been the thrust of a lot of arguments from like black women. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, some of the conversations I've had with black women, which helped me understand a lot about like. Um, how black women have not been defended, how, you know, and I think Roxanne Gay wrote about this in the New York Times. She was kind of putting it in the context of the confirmation hearings, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And how only Cory Booker came um, um, to her defense. Mm -hmm. And so that helped me understand more that that kind of like that came from a valid place. Because initially, I feel bad because my initial reaction to this line of argument, I think... um, I, uh, uh, what was her name? Um, the congressman. Ayanna Presley. Mm-hmm. So she had a tweet and then deleted the tweet kind of, I think it was like in defense of Will Smith, mm-hmm. like kind of like, oh yeah, like, you know, he's defending his wife. And I think other people have said the same thing. Like Tiffany Haddish mm-hmm. came out and be like, that was a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. And I was like, in my anger, I was like, yo, this is a dumb take. Mm-hmm. That is just a wrong take. And I think like, I feel badly that that was my initial reaction. Cause I, I, I should have known that it came from a valid place. Mm-hmm. Having said that, though, I think there is some room for interrogation here about what it means to defend, you know, and like what it means to defend your wife and like what that says about the perpetuation of toxic masculinity. Like the reason why it hit such a nerve for me was because that was like, you know, those kind of things were were taught to me like it's it's what it meant to be a man Mm -hmm. was to like physically defend your woman's honor mm, right mm-hmm. and it's so in my view now and like in 2022 such an archaic and such like a like a relic of a version of masculinity that i've been trying to kind of deconstruct and eliminate from my psyche mm. and also like trying to counter mm-hmm. obviously if jada is like being physically assaulted mm-hmm. then by all means like physically defend her and like you know even attack the attacker right, right. Um, but you know, like, you know, I think the opinion on the joke kind of ranges from like, it was a mild joke to like a shitty joke to like a very, like some people are calling it a violent joke. I wouldn't go that far, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, the, the the opinions range, right. But generally there's consensus that it didn't warrant a physical assault. Right. Yeah. And it really bothers me that there's this idea that the only way that you could have defended Jada in that moment Mm -hmm. is through physical violence. Like that is such a dangerous 
perpetuation of what we're trying to reject in masculinity. Yeah. Right. How many, think about how many bar fights there have been, stupid bar fights over, you know, some insult that wasn't really even about defending your girlfriend or wife. And it's more about like, protecting your ego or like you know you get all hopped up and gassed up about this stuff and then and then you like what like someone hits his head and now you're in a coma like some stupid thing like that over something completely dumb yeah and I think that's why I got really upset you know Mm. because I there are so many other ways like you know if you had a speech why not you know be like hey like I love my wife she's beautiful and of course, I'm kind of like judging my armchair or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not expecting his response to be perfect, mm-hmm. but there are other ways to defend the people you love yeah. in more, in my opinion, more powerful yes. ways, yes. you know, mobilize public sentiment or whatnot. And and the fact that he, may, I'm, I don't want to single out Will Smith, but the fact that so many people think that physically attacking somebody is the only like immediately that's what it means to defend someone you love Mm -hmm. that has to be really really looked at very seriously it's also patriarchal as hell right like this idea that like jada needs to be defended like i i see i totally understand the point like that like black women have not been defended enough but like this whole as just as you're saying this whole like toxically masculine like it's it 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 feels to me like in that in in this kind of like depiction it's like the woman is the man's property in a way right yeah. like and so he has to defend he is defending his own honor and like it's yeah. so it's so gross and like yeah. yeah so i i like you this whole like defending like defending her honor i'm like no this is this is right. like it is not 1876 like this is not the yeah. way we're talking about this now like Totally. They're, totally. We got to do better than this. That really bothers me. I think like it really brought me back. And I've talked to some other guys who have faced bullying when they were in high school. Mm-hmm. And I definitely had that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to an all guy Catholic school. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize like how much of this was like part of the culture in which I went to school. Mm-hmm. So people would just like slap each other for the stupidest thing like someone like i remember was we were in we were eating lunch and someone like oh like took a french fry just to kind of eat it and then like got slapped mm. and like started his nose started bleeding oh my and, god right like just the sl- stupidest thing and it was all part of like hey like you know you got to defend yourself or you you know and it all came down to like physicality mm-hmm. and and then like oh who's the man is manliest yeah. man or whatever yeah. and it was also accepted and so internalized and i'm like yo we're living in a like incredibly violent culture Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it really touched that nerve yeah no i really appreciate you sharing that because it makes perfect sense that like why this would have like resonated or like just triggered something yeah yeah i uh i was not happy no with all that the whole situation no well what what, uh when an oscars to miss i know i know and (laughs) i was listening to a podcast where they were like it well it like it makes faye dunaway's like la la land error make like look like small potatoes right so right I will be tuning in next year, though. I mean, honestly, from a purely like, from a purely capitalistic perspective, the Oscars should write Will Smith a thank you card because the show, as much as I love it, because I'm an addict, like the show has not been relevant for a very long time, right? Yeah, an award show that gives Green Book its Best Picture award is not one that is relevant, you know? Yeah. Um. 
but it was the only thing people were talking about. Besides, I mean, right. even even bumping Ukraine, like you said. So um, yeah. instead of, ex- I mean, instead of like forcing him to resign, more or less, like they should really be thanking him. And and Chris Rock acknowledged that he was like greatest night in the history of television, and he's not wrong. Yeah, that felt like I just I was holding on to that, and it felt like a lump in my chest. Yeah. So thank you yeah. for indulging oh, me and in going through it. Because at this point, everything that everything that we've said and and like ten. 10 other takes mm-hmm. has already been said. Yeah. So yeah. So I just needed to get no, that off my but chest. I, I appreciate, I appreciate this specific <laughs> take because it's not one that I've, I've read. So I appreciate that. Okay. Um, let's transition into something very different. So last episode, we did the part one of managing your 30 something life, which was about basically like the tools that we use to manage our life, calendars, spreadsheets, all of the things, right? Um, but the part two that we really wanted to get into is the division of labor in our homes. Um, this is something I have been interested in talking with you about for a very long time because one of my like favorite memories of you is um, Thanksgiving 2019. You came to Ann Arbor to visit and to watch the Michigan Ohio State game. We recorded an episode IRL. Such a great memory. It was it was Such a great, great we had a great weekend. But anyway, great. we had a fabulous dinner and then afterwards you went into the kitchen where my mom was cleaning up and you just started doing dishes. And I think my mom probably I don't know what happened. I, I imagine she tried to wave you off. But then you were like, "No, this is reparations." And when I came into the kitchen, my mom was like, he is fantastic. You totally won her over because my mom, understandably, has feelings about the division of labor, um, specifically for women and specifically for Asian women. So um, all this to say that this is truly one of my favorite memories of you and um, has made me like very curious to hear about your journey in this regard, because I imagine that this is not like you have not been doing your own dishes. I mean, we've talked about this. You've not been doing your own dishes <laughs> your whole life. So I guess I'm curious just kind of to hear from you, like, like what messages about division of labor did you receive growing up in your home? And then like, like, how did you start to unlearn that messaging? I will start with my version of the story. Okay, you just please. Told. Thanksgiving 2019, Ann Arbor, uh-huh. your mother spent all day. Was that the day of the it game? It was the day of the game. Right. Yeah. So all of us kids. Right, right. The second generation. Right. So we go out and we have this great time watching Michigan, Ohio State, one of the iconic rivalries in college football. Mm-hmm. We had a great time. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, your mom was back at home cooking the entire time. And watching my children. And watching the children. <laughs> yes. I don't even know how that's possible. My dad was there too, but uh, mostly her, yes. let's be honest. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, if my memory of your dad was he was watching TV. That's probably what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yes. But watching the kids, for sure. Yeah. But we come back and she's been, you know, she's in the kitchen and you just named a lot of people there. So she's cooking up, you know, what I just, I don't even understand how 
people have the ability to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's just in there cooking. So already while we're eating and, you know, having wine and enjoying, I mean, just enjoying our time, like my mind is already like, oh man, like, you know, like I would like to help out. You know, I get very kind of like uncomfortable in those situations where, you know, like I'm just like, I had a fun day out and I just ate a meal and now what am I going to do? Just sit in the living room and watch TV? Like it just doesn't. So I went into the kitchen, you know, just kind of like start washing up and fully expecting to be chased out of Mm. there because that's how I grew Mm -hmm. up. I grew up with two, essentially two mothers, two Korean mothers, Mm. Um, my mom and then her mom. Mm -hmm. So that was my household. And so I can't even like, Growing up, I couldn't even take the dish that I ate on and put it in the sink mm. before I got chased away, mm-hmm. um, before I was like, no. Because especially in my my grandmother's conception of like it, like Korean sons, especially firstborn Korean sons, mm-hmm. is like, it is like, I'll use the word sacrilegious because I do think that there's an element of like, like there's something impure mm-hmm. about watching a man in the kitchen, like, clean. Mm. Like, there's something, like, viscerally wrong with mm-hmm, it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't speak to her time and, like, how she grew up, but, like, there's something about, like, her being, like, this is my job, this is my role mm-hmm, in the house. Mm-hmm. You have other roles, and this, but this is my role. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's that. It could also be grandmother and grandson and, like, never wanting the grandson to even, like, lift a finger and, you know, all the stereotypes of Korean sons being the prince of the family Mm -hmm. is absolutely true, at least the way I grew up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and then that's been true in a lot of Korean households that I've been in, like, where I try to do the dishes and, like, the mom will, like, chase me out of there, Mm -hmm. like, like I have, like, a virus or something, you know? (laughs) And so I was expecting, because, you know, like your parent, your parents aren't obviously Korean, your mom's not Korean, but, mm-hmm. you know, she's Asian. So, you know, I was kind of expecting the same thing to happen. Yeah. And she sees me and to my surprise, she just gives me a pat on the back and says, good job and walks away. <laughs> and I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> no, I was very pleased, by the way. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not like, oh, I was expecting you to chase me out of here. I was like genuinely shocked mm-hmm. because I was like, this would never have happened in the at least the Korean homes I grew up with. I would have been at least told like, get out of here. You know, I, I've actually been to Thanksgivings where all me and all our my age cousins, like guys, girls, are all eating and having a great time. Mm-hmm. A Korean mom walks in and then instructs all of the girl cousins to get up and help clean up. Wow. That has happened several times at my gatherings, you know? Mm-hmm. And the girls will just like, They'll maybe say something like, oh, what about the boys? But then they'll they'll go and do it. And then the somehow the boys, then they go down and just like play ping pong yeah, or yeah, do yeah. something. They play. They play. Ugh. And I'm like, yo, like, and these are my age people. This is like not even like, like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's generally how I grew up. Mm-hmm. But then so like, where do you think the turning point was for you though? Because I mean- like what you describe as like how you grew up is like quite different from like declaring reparations and cleaning up after like this meal for 11 people. It's like wh- where 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 did the turn happen for you? So I don't think there was actually a turn. Mm-hmm. I think like I've always felt a little bit I, I like I have a conscience about this stuff. So growing up, like when when like the Thanksgivings were there, like, oh, hey, girls, come clean up. Mm-hmm. Like I would go up and help clean. And then again, like I would be contending with like people either they would be like, 
trying to kick me out of the kitchen or they would be praising me for helping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It takes so none little. of the girls, of right. course. Yeah. It none of the girls so got any little praise. for a man to get praise. So <laughs> little, even the gesture is enough. <laughs> yeah. I just have to twitch yeah, yeah. and like, and, and I get praised for it. So I don't think there was a turn. I've always had that kind of instinct because I feel, I think it's just guilt, right? Yeah, I, I feel like, especially if someone's cooking for me, mm. I feel guilty that I'm, you know, and it feels weird just to leave a bunch of dirty dishes for someone else to clean up. It just feels weird. Yeah. And so when I was at your house and I was doing it, and that was the first time I used that word reparations. And I, of course, I used it tongue in cheek. Yeah. But Often what I found I had to do was come up with some kind of um, permission structure. Yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. So if I'm in, like in a Korean household and I'm doing the dishes and Korean mom is like, oh, you know, like get out of here, get out of here. Mm-hmm. I'll like come up with something like, oh, no, no, no. I'm just rinsing this and putting this in the dishwasher. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm just doing this one, mm-hmm. but I'm actually doing them all. Yeah. But I'm just like, no, no, I'm just doing this one. Yeah. Or I have to like come up with something. And so in that moment, I don't know. I think it's because I knew you would understand this word reparation. So maybe I'll take a pause now to kind of talk about this reparations thing. Because that, that was the first time I used it. But then in subsequent instances I've busted this out a little bit more and I feel like at first it was kind of a like a thing I said as a joke Mm -hmm. and it made everybody Mm -hmm. but it's become more of a coherent theory Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and yeah I mean it's exactly as it sounds. I mean obviously reparations is like too loaded of a word it's like you know it's too big of a word but Mm -hmm. I think the concept is that you know like long time ago the economy was such that the economy and the culture were such that, you know, women stayed at home, men went and worked, Mm -hmm. women, you know, took care of the household, took care of the kids. And, you know, men worked, and then they came back. And like, a lot of those social norms kind of got passed down generation after generation, not just in the West, but like, obviously, in Asia and like Africa and all these places, right. Mm -hmm. And then when women entered the workforce, then I kind of feel like, you know, the structure of the economy changed. And Certain norms change, but for some reason, the household norms didn't change. And it it became like whatever you thought of it before, it definitely became unjust Mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. And I definitely saw it with my parents, right? Like both of them worked. Mm -hmm. Like my mom managed the restaurant. He he did as well. Mm -hmm. But somehow when you come home, he would just like come home and just like kick his feet up and she would do all the cooking. She would do all the cleaning. He'd just go right up to watch TV. Mm -hmm. And even as a kid, I was like, what? What is this? You know? Yeah. And so I grew up with a very strong sense that this was not just, mm-hmm. like in a justice sense, not just. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of felt like, like, you know, at least for me, it's like, you know, like I could either, I could either benefit from this patriarchal structure mm-hmm. or I can like do my part to pay, pay back in my own small way, like, you know, because there's no... Like, if you think of it in those terms, there's no amount of housework that I individually can do to make up for all of those years of injustice, Correct. right? To womankind. Yes. Right? So, but that's that just gives me then, like, license to, you know, if I ever grumble about, like, oh, I'm doing too many chores, I'm just like, uh, excuse me, mm-hmm. like, this is, like, pretty much, like, like, pretty much every woman I know, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So... Again, it's kind of weird for me to kind of go into this. I'm only doing it to explain my thinking on this. I'm not trying to like win brownie points here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like, that's when I sit, like when I talk about reparations, it's kind of a joke, but it's also sort of like how I think yeah, about it. Yeah, it's also like not at all a joke. I'm curious though, because, you know, my initial um, experience with you in in that moment was 
I, I kind of interpret it as a difference between Korean culture and Taiwanese culture. Mm. Um, and, and I've definitely seen, you know, I've had Taiwanese friends where it's much more balance of division of labor. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. How was it? What was it like for you growing up? Because you have a brother as well. I do. So. I do. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's really interesting to think about. So like, um, like you, I grew up with two working parents and my mom, I think, I think this is outside the norm, but like my mom um, outranked my dad, worked longer hours, was more successful, got paid more. And yet she also came home and cooked every night and did most pickups and drop-offs, did the grocery shopping, et cetera, et cetera. Like she outsourced the cleaning. Um, and my dad did dishes. But for the most part, it was like classic second shift stuff, right? Where like she came home from her job and did another shift at home. Um, but in terms of how we were raised, like my bro- I'm much older than my brother. So we have never been peers in any meaningful sense. But like, or at least we were not as children. Um, but I feel like the expectations for us, like we both had chores to do. There was never a time explicitly when my brother was told like, oh, you can just like sit up and put your, you, you, you just, you just take a load off while like your sister and I go do this. Although now as an adult, I do notice that like, if we're all home, my mom will ask me to help set the table. You know what I mean? Like she, she asks me to help do things, um, and does not ask my brother the same things. So um, for as like progressive seeming as my my mom especially likes to say that she is, like there are some, I think, fairly entrenched like gender roles. You know what I mean? Um, and even though they were not so much explicitly passed down to my brother and I, like they have been, they're implicitly there. I think is that is that is that fairly typical of because you know I kind of talked about Korean culture and how this is fairly prevalent. Yeah. I mean, is that generally indicative of how a lot of households are? I mean, it's really hard to say. I mean, I think I agree with your general take that I think that Taiwanese families tend to be a little tend to be more egalitarian than Korean mm-hmm. families, just in my like limited non-random sample. Um, but I still think that the gender I I I think they're 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 still gendered. So I don't really have a clear theory or like on why that is, but mm-hmm. I think that, that, that elements of that are certainly still there. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And have you like, you know, in those moments where your mom just kind of instinctively asks you to kind of help out and not your brother, like, do you ever say anything? Is that anything that's, you know, like ever talked about? Two things are happening. One, I think that my brother is being is has gotten in his older age a little bit more proactive in ways that he wasn't before. But also I have gotten a little bit more vocal where if I'm like, hey, brother, can you do this? And he's usually more than happy to do it. But like um, it's not something that I have ever explicitly addressed with my mom. Although now that we're having this conversation, maybe I will. You can ask Johnny to do that. <laughs> what's he doing right now <laughs> i don't know I, i'm just really curious how she would respond because she, she and her self-conception is that she's very progressive which i think for her context she is yeah. but again there are these things that are so deeply ingrained and so i'm just curious how she would respond she's she's so progressive and like such an ass kicker in her professional life but at home she like 
willingly accepts this very traditional role. And I think it's possible that it's just she knows that it makes her life easier because my dad is a cantankerous man. And I think that she knows that like it's just going to be it's going to be more work for her if she doesn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that, that there might be some of that calculus in there. But it's yeah. just it's as the older I get and like the more that I, you know, I have entered the role that I that I remember her doing. Right. And I see how fucking hard it is, even with a partner who is far more helpful than my father was. And I'm like, how how do you how do you reconcile these things? You know, so I'm very curious. I don't know if we can. I don't know if she has the level of self-awareness. We could talk about it, but uh-huh. I'm very curious. But how she yeah. Understand. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing, it made me laugh just thinking about like, like your your mom basically saying, I'm just going to do it because otherwise it's going to be harder because I kind of feel like that's like a very intentional strategy on behalf, like, like going back millennia. Truly. Of what, you know, truly. Hey, hey, can you do the laundry? And then the guy will do it and like there'll be like holes in yeah, the shirt. Yeah, it'll be a fucking disaster. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, as if he has no ability to like learn or adapt. And then it's just like, just it's such an intentional strategy to get out of this stuff, you know? Yeah. That's the way I see it. I, You know, I don't buy this like, I don't buy this bumbling man theory. Yeah. You know? Ooh. Like, God, that's really good, Chris. The bumbling man strategy is all just a, it's all a farce. <laughs> it's a ruse. Get out of the work. That's really good because like I have, because I have seen some friends who, who and it plays out in their relationships, friends who are our age, our generation, right? And I am sometimes like, I understand it. They And like, I have friends who they complain about how little their spouses do. And then part of me is like, well, then maybe you need to like, um, let them do it and fuck it up. And like, you know what I mean? And like, just learn. And I think the logic for them is like, it will just be so much more work for me. But I have never thought about the fact that it could be an, a very, in, the, the, the like helplessness, the, the patheticness of the man's effort could actually be like in a somewhat intentional, like way of getting out of the work i've never thought about that before but um so i'm curious like now that you have a household of your own Uh and you are married to a very progressive person like what does your division of labor look like now and is it what you expected so we both work Mm -hmm. um and for me and, and i'm curious to know like maybe this is part of like you know whether you're a man, a woman, a wife or a husband, I'm wondering like how much like, um, how do I put this? Like how much of it is you accepting this as a, a traditional role mm-hmm. or how much of it is that you genuinely enjoy yes. doing certain things, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious to know from your mom, for example, like does she just enjoy cooking? Right. Like does she enjoy like grocery shopping and things like this mm-hmm. and how much of that plays into this whole thing? Mm-hmm. Because for me, I really like productive mindless tasks okay. <laughs> like dishwashing yes mm-hmm. like or or even laundry or mm-hmm. anything that mm-hmm. where i'm being productive mm-hmm. and i don't have to use my brain because my work yes. is so cognitive yes and i'm always thinking and it's very tiring it's like physical labor for me but it's like mental labor and there's and so, no tangible product at the end just emails and powerpoint yeah. presentations <laughs> Yes. There's nothing that I built physically. Like right. if I were a woodworker and I, at the end of the day I had a bench, 
could like go to sleep with a big fat smile on my yes. face. And sometimes I think about woodworking, even though I've never even come close. Mm-hmm. Like I would be scared of the splinters. I don't know. But I think about woodworking as like the alternative, mm-hmm. like something with your hands. And so in lieu of that, I think it's become household chores. So I do like, I would say I do 90% of the division of household work. Meaning? Um, meaning laundry. Um, well, not I, it, nothing is 100%. So I don't do 100% of the cooking, mm-hmm. but I'll do like 90% of it. Mm-hmm. I'll do, I won't do 100% of the washing, cleaning up, but I'll, I'll do like 90% of it. Uh-huh. Um, and a lot of that is because when I'm not in front of a computer, I don't like idling. Mm-hmm. I don't do a lot of idling. And so yeah, I, I feel weird. Like I feel kind of strangely anxious about just sitting and watching and binging or or like nap. I don't nap, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I have to be constantly filling my time with something that needs to be done mm-hmm. or logistics or, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. I don't enjoy all of it, but like, like I'd rather be doing something than nothing. Uh-huh. So when I'm like taking a mental break, I'll like do like I'll do a little tidying up or I will do a load of laundry or I will. So it's not like set chores. It's just like what needs to be done and I'm just doing it in the background. Mm-hmm. Whereas for my my partner, she is like working at a startup. Mm-hmm. And so it's around the around the clock, yeah. like like, you know, morning till night. And it's like little breaks for meals, but it's like constantly on. Mm-hmm. And so when she obviously has some free time, then she like you know, we cook together or we clean together or, you know, laundry like she does. But truly a lot of her time is like wrapped up in work. Mm-hmm. But I would say that's the division of the household. So labor. you you are saying that you do 90% of the household labor. 90, 80 to 90. That is yeah. stunning. Like I like, I kept yeah. waiting for you to be like, and my partner does 90% of blank and it never happened. So- you're saying that you do 90% of the household chores. 80 to 90. Okay. 80 to 90. Would yeah. your partner agree with that statement? Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Truly fascinating. Okay. But see, it's interesting to me because I feel like a lot of egalitarian households mm-hmm. are like, this. these are the chores that one person does. Yes. And here's the chores that another person does. Mm-hmm. But I kind of think of it as like, I have more flexibility with i have more of a nine to nine to five five thirty right, schedule right, right right whereas her work is like just 24/7. constantly on the go yeah. and and to be honest with you our economic fates are like like very much intertwined with with uh with the success of this startup company because so much of our like you know equity and whatnot is like tied up with mm-hmm. this so another part of it is i think of it as well if, if i can free up her time to keep working on that mm-hmm. then that's that's like i'm that's my contribution to this company which is like so important yeah, to yeah, our yeah, fortunes yeah. moving forward right yeah it's a sound so, investment right 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 so i don't necessarily think that this whole 50 50 is actually an equitable equitable distribution for us mm-hmm, anyways mm-hmm. right for some households it might break evenly completely but I don't think that's a blanket thing, mm-hmm. right? I don't think that applies to all families yeah. or, or households. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yes. That is so interesting and so unusual, as I'm sure you know. How about for you? Um, God, that is <laughs> such a tricky question to answer. So I feel like if I'm thinking about our situation right now at this very moment, I think it is about as even as it can be. Mm-hmm. 
and everything costs me more. So let me back up. Mm-hmm. So I have to say that I feel incredibly lucky that I, I think that my fate in terms of division of labor has actually very little to do with how I was raised and everything to do with how my partner was raised. Because my default, the way I was raised, is like, I'm going to do all the work, right? Because that's what women do. And that's especially what Asian women do. But I found a partner who grew up in a home where work was divided pretty evenly. So Mm -hmm. my spouse's mom was a nurse who worked the morning shift. So she was gone before the kids woke up. So it was his dad who got the kids ready for school, made lunches. If someone was sick, he was the one who stayed home. Um, And then when mom got home at like 2, um, she was the one who was home when the kids got back from school, got dinner ready, et cetera, right? So he grew up in this home where dad was an active partner. And I think about this all the time that like both of my both of my spouse's parents are um, missionary kids in a denomination called the Assemblies of God. And there mm-hmm. are, one can say many things about the Assemblies of God, but one thing I give them a lot of credit for is that men and women have always been equal in that denomination. Mm-hmm. Women have always been allowed to lead, um, been given equal roles. And so it just makes me think all the time about the very practical impact that theology has on how people actually live. Anyways, so when we first got married, my spouse and I did everything together, like grocery shopping, cooking, cleaning, like all of it we did together. Um, and, the, you know, some some give and take here and there. I probably cleaned more and he like took care of car stuff and whatever. But by and large, like we, I think we, we did things very evenly. Um, and it wasn't until having kids that we had like a huge upheaval because in the beginning, when you have kids, especially if you're breastfeeding, like so much of the labor falls on the mom because that's just biologically the way that it has to be. Even if dad does literally everything else, it's still so disproportionate on mom. And on top of that, I made the choice to be the primary caretaker so things just became very lopsided. And then that was something we had to have, start having conversations about, like, especially when it came to like me needing to like work on evenings and weekends. Like, how do we set up structures so that like I am not like doing everything around the house and with the kid up until the minute before my meeting starts and the minute after it ends? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like we got to a pretty good place. And then the pandemic happened. And that set us back again because I, because my work is part-time and much more flexible. Like I became the caretaker when schools were closed. And then when virtual school happened, I became the teacher and the supervisor. And I essentially had to start, had to stop working, you know, for so much of that time. And we're still digging ourselves out of that hole. So even though like now in our day-to-day routine, I feel like I have it better than most, right? Like in the morning, it's like a constant handoff. So like in the morning when we wake up, I get the kids dressed and their teeth brushed. My spouse makes their breakfasts and their lunches. He drops one off at school on the way to work. I take the other to the bus stop. In the afternoons, like I do pickups. Um, there's two afternoons when the younger one is home. So I do childcare. But we both do dinner, bath time, bedtime. You know, um, he usually does dishes at night because I usually have meetings. We do almost all of our cooking on the weekend. And since I often have to work, I have work meetings and he does the bulk of it, I would say, like, I do grocery shopping and doctor's appointments and managing the calendar and, like, our home inventory. But he does yard work and pays bills and fixes shit and takes out the trash. And that's all very gendered. 
And mm-hmm. at, to your point earlier, it's also what we want to be doing, you know? So I'm like a potato, mm-hmm. potato. I don't really know. I don't, I, I don't really know how mm-hmm. to interpret that. So, but all that to say, even though our life right now, day to day, looks very even on the surface, like there is no question that the, 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 the burden of our division of labor over the course of our, of our marriage and family has weighed heavier on me. And this is this is what's so I'm going back to this reparations framework because from what I'm hearing from you, you have a partner who's incredibly like supportive and like conscious of these things mm-hmm. and makes intentional efforts to try to make it as even as possible. Yes. And yet even still has disproportionately fallen on you. And because that's just like whether that's our society and the way it's set up, whether it's the biological thing with you know with kids and what whatever but it's always like it, it's always going to skew that yes. way. Yes. You know that whole like analogy where it's like, you know, all of these isms like racism and sexism and homophobia like if you are passive against them and doing nothing, it's like a moving walkway, right? So if you're passive against them and doing nothing, like you are actually just supporting the structure and going along with it and like and it's not unless you are actively walking in the other direction that you are making any kind of impact again you're fighting against it in any way you have to actively be walking in the other direction and i i feel like i hear that and what you're saying where like that's exactly you need to be making an effort to to do more of the work in order for it to be even remotely equal that's exactly right um i'm also conscious of like how like heteronormative this conversation is and like i'm thinking about our like you know i'm thinking about the queer partnerships that i've been able to see and like just how interesting and different it is to like hear them talk about what the division of labor looks like in their households because like they don't have the same gendered scripts right right so they have to, you got to renegotiate and they everything. have to build it all from scratch for better and for yeah. worse and mostly for better yeah. right but like yeah people choose like they get to choose what they they get to opt into the roles that they want to do for you know ex- I, I guess unless there's something that truly nobody wants to do and like i just love the fact that like it gives this built-in opportunity to like actually make things equal, you know, or as equal as possible. And like, there's so much that we can learn from that, you know? So much we can learn yeah. for sure. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. That was a great point to raise. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to change topics pretty dramatically here for a top five that we are super stoked about because we are talking about our top five Asian snacks. And Chris, the delight that I have gleaned from thinking about this has been immense and i know that you have gone you've gone beyond just thinking about this yes i piloted this top five i was at a dinner and at this dinner there was about eight asian people around same age as we were (laughs) and this topic came up where i was like oh our next top five is going to be asian snacks and i kid you not this the table exploded in <laughs> opinions, memories, stories, nostalgia. And then this entire table was like, enough of this. We're going to go to H Mart right now and we're going to make a snack run. So that's exactly what we did. And we each of us got like three or four of our favorites mm-hmm. in order to enter a competition. Incredible. So we had like, we all went back to the apartment. We had like 25 to 30 snacks. And we all entered, we did like, it was March. So we did like a March Madness bracket. And we crowned a champion. Oh my God. 
I would like to know what this one is. This one on your top five, the, the champion. Let me see. Uh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Great. So you, it's my number please three. Please tell us yeah. what it is when it comes. Um, Will do. Okay. Um, so I want to set some parameters. Um, I really tried to adhere to snack in the purest sense of the word. So like boba is not on here. Ice cream is not on here. Like baked goods are not on. It's like stuff that you like go into a snack aisle at the Asian grocery store and buy. Fair enough. Fair enough. So for whatever that's worth. So my number five is a lychee jelly. Are you familiar with the lychee jelly? I am. It comes in those little plastic containers. Yes. Okay. So it comes in these big plastic buckets but they're yeah. individually packaged in um, what I can best liken to as like those little shots of cream for your coffee. Yes. yes and yes, basically, yes. Um, you peel back the the top, and inside there is a jelly that is flavored like lychee. And inside the jelly, just for like I don't know chewiness, there's like a like a an, a harder piece of jelly in the center, and you pop it back. And it is just juicy and sweet and fabulous. And um, I don't know. They're universally liked. They're so good. I'm sure that people have choked on them in the past. But (laughs) choking hazard aside, um, yeah, they're fun and delicious. And you can eat like seven of them without thinking about it. We are off to a tremendous start right now. Love a lychee jelly. That's my number five. My number four is the egg roll cookie, not to be confused with the egg roll that we all know and love for meals, but um, an egg roll cookie. So this is like a, do you have any idea what I'm talking about? I don't. Okay. I'm going to start Googling right now. The egg roll cookie is like a Chinese grocery store staple where it is like a tube shaped cookie. Um, It's yellow. It's very flaky. And oh, it, I do know what you're talking about. I, I just Googled okay. it. It yes. comes in a red tin with a round top that you pop off and they're yellow. <laughs> and sometimes there's like sesame seeds sprinkled in. But like this is like what my childhood tastes like. It is like what I wanted all the time. Just this round, like this, this round cylindrical cigar shaped, yes. flaky, fabulous cookie. Yo, these are so they're good. So these good. are so good. So that's my number four. My number three is a new something that has been newly introduced to me because it is not something that is at the Chinese grocery store, but it is an H Mart staple. It is the turtle chip, specifically yes. corn soup flavor turtle chip. Corn soup. Corn soup wow. flavor. So wow. um, turtle chip is it is in the chip family, but it is not shaped like a chip. It's like round and it's got like four distinct layers in it. Yeah. Um, and it comes in a plethora of flavors. But my favorite is corn soup because corn soup was like my favorite Chinese restaurant like dish as a child. I don't know what it is. Like you like corn soup is like universally loved by Asian kids because it's like kind of sweet. I don't know. Um, but the corn soup flavor turtle chip is like everything I like. It's got this like great, like light, airy, cr- but crunchy texture. It's got the sweetness and the saltiness of corn soup. I could eat like an entire bag in one sitting. So that's my number three. Uh, number two is the shrimp chip stick version. So <laughs> shrimp chip can mean a number of things, but I'm talking specifically about the sticks um Colby makes one yes. they're ridged yes. and ever so slightly twisted yes. um but 
Whenever I go to an Asian grocery store of any kind, I inevitably end up buying a bag of these and just hoovering it in the parking lot. I don't know what's in these things. Do they taste like shrimp? Not really, I wouldn't say. They just taste like... Hints, hints of shrimp. Hints of shrimp. Vague. <laughs> the essence of shrimp. Reminiscent of shrimp. But um, it tastes like the perfect mix of like salty and delicious. Like I have no other way to describe it. It's crunchy. It's airy. Like I were, I see them sometimes at Target and it doesn't matter wherever I am when I see them, I'm buying a bag and I'm going to eat the whole thing um, because they're delicious. Uh, and my number one is the shrimp chip comma prawn cracker version. <laughs> Stick version, prawn cracker Correct. version. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I okay. do. Okay, so yes. I don't know why the word shrimp chip is used to describe such a large range of snacks, but these shrimp chips are, um, they're actually chip shaped, but they're irregular. Um, they can come in a variety of colors from white to pink to green to orange. And they also do not really taste like shrimp, but as like they taste salty and delicious. And the texture on these things is so phenomenal because they are crunchy, but it's like all air. I don't, I don't know what to liken it to. And also, when you put your, when you put it in your mouth, like your mouth, your, your mouth kind of like sticks to it a little bit. Oh my god! Like truly, the only thing I ever wanted as a child was shrimp chips, and they would sometimes come on the side of like a specific chicken dish at a Chinese restaurant, and I would just eat every single one. And sometimes my mom would make them at home, but like. Everything I wanted as a kid was a shrimp chip. And now you can buy them in bags. I think they're they're not as good. I, I wouldn't say when you buy them bagged at the store, but like, God, everything I want. Salty, delicious, crunchy. I love a shrimp chip so much. So that's my number one. One and two. One and that, two. Two know, different shrimps. kinds of shrimps. <laughs> shrimp chips crazy. that don't really taste like shrimp, but they're exactly the flavor I want. So I'll take it. All right, I want to hear your list. Number five mm -hmm. is onion flavored rings. Ooh, excellent! That's a great. It comes choice. in a green bag. Yes. Yeah, it comes in a green bag. Mm -hmm. It is far superior, and this is no knock on the Funyun, uh -huh. but it is like a version of the Funyun, but it's way better it, than it the Funyun. It is better than the Funyun. Can confirm. And I think it's emblematic of like the American snack approach versus the Asian snack approach. The Funyun is just way too seasoned. Mm, yes, um, it's overly seasoned Correct. and does not. Too and does not. Yes, and I, I would to the point where it doesn't even really taste like onion. It tastes like something else. I yeah, think. it tastes like a Funyun. Yeah, basically. Exactly. It's, <laughs> the onion flavored ring is much more subtle uh -huh. and therefore much more like bingeable. Yes, right? agreed. It's not um, a flavor blast every single bite. Yeah, that is exactly. so true. Um, but yes, the onion flavored ring, it's the green bag and there's a little onion that's like a DJ. <laughs> DJ onions on the cover. <laughs> so delightful. That's my number five. Number four, it's hard to explain, but like it's one, it's, um, it's a rice based snack. Mm -hmm. It's shaped like a Frisbee. Okay. It's like, very, yeah, it's very large round thing. It's like a, you know, like a popped like rice thing. Yes. And, you know, it, it's not the best tasting. And it is like a, like, I love all rice-based snacks. That's like the kind of theme that came out of my list. Mm -hmm. But this thing is so nostalgic because 
you you throw it around like it's a frisbee. Mm-hmm. It is literally shaped and it's about the same, a little bit smaller than a regular frisbee. Mm-hmm. But I just remember it comes in these large bags. Yes, There's like they're 15 of them. They're stacked. Yes. Then you bust them out and the first one's so good. You inhale that first one. And then the second one, you start like throwing it around and you start like <laughs> breaking it and then like makes that large snapping sound. Mm, so satisfying. You put it in your mouth and then like kind of like dissolves in your yes. mouth. Um, it's just a fun tactile snack. Yes. You know? Yes. It's just like, and there's no other snack that looks like that. No, it is a, and it's a multi-sensory experience, just like you said. Yes, um, totally. This also is a new thing that I think the same friend that introduced me to the turtle chip introduced me to, because I did not grow up with these, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And they yeah. do not, that they don't taste like much, but they are yeah. like such a, an experience. Right, right. It's kind of like having a rice cake. It's yes, a, it doesn't exactly doesn't taste like anything, but you en- really enjoy the texture yes. and just like you know, like just the whole experience. Okay, my third one. Okay, so I, I mentioned at the top of our segment that we had a March Madness style snack competition, mm-hmm. and what we found out about the snack competition, it's it's kind of like March Madness. It's all about the matchup. Mm. So this isn't necessarily mean that this is the best of the the, the king or queen of snacks. It's just happen to win that bracket because yeah. of the matchups. Uh-huh. But it's, an also, uh, it's also a rice-based snack. Um, it's hard to explain. They they come in like one, like one large package that contains a bunch of them. Okay. And then the individual ones are wrapped in pairs of two. Mm. And it's like, um, it's about three inches t- in length. Mm-hmm. And again, they're, they're, they're wrapped in, individually wrapped in two. Um, the Korean is called sal songwa, sal songwa, and it's like, um, it's like it's again right rice based snack. It's crispy and it has like a layer of like sweet salt kind of glazed on top of it. Mm. And yeah, it's like everybody who tasted it in our competition was just like, oh, I forgot how good these are. Nice. And then it blew through the competition. It it beat. The onion rings, oh my for gosh. example. I mean, that's major. Yeah, yeah. But these are these are quite good. That is my number three. Okay, my number two, returning to the shrimp <gasps> chip bag. This is the long one, the stick one. Uh-huh. So we have the same number two. Amazing. Okay. But here's the curveball. Okay. I grew up in California. Uh-huh. And I had the yellow bag. The yellow bag. Okay. I have now found out that it's the Kalbi one. Oh, okay. And that is the Japanese brand. Oh. So a lot of Koreans were not happy with me that I made the claim that these are better. Okay. But basically, I was basically surrounded by a bunch of East Coast Koreans. Mm -hmm. And we were debating this. And none of, like, they were all very much like, you're wrong. (laughs) Our, our, we call it Heokgang. Our Heokgang is better. Uh Uh-huh. But then when I go, you know, I've lived on both the East Coast and L.A., right? Uh-huh. And I've shopped in both H-Marts and Korean Marts in both coasts. Yeah. And they don't have these yellow bags. I mean, I'm sure it's somewhere. Uh-huh. But it's just I've been to many Korean grocery stores and they don't sell these yellow bag ones. Yeah, I can't. I'm on the internet right now and I can't find it. I see the bag that I described to a T. Right. But I do not right. see the bag that you described. So that bag, I know exactly what bag you're talking about because that's all I that's all I have access to. Uh huh. And let me tell you, deprived. Wow. <laughs> that's all I can oh. say. Really, like I, I will die on this hill because wow. 
the memories are wrong. Uh-huh. The yellow bags helgangs are greasier, they're saltier, and they pack such a powerful punch of flavor uh-huh. that when I have these other shrimp chips, by comparison, they are a little dry, a little like flavorless to me. I am so confused because like the one that I'm describing is the Kalbi one. But oh, is it? Also, okay, so maybe but I'm also same... looking at a yellow bag that I, that's coming up on the internet, and it's it's yellow, and it also says Kalbi on it. So is that's this like, is this like a regional about. difference in like Kalbi suppliers? How be. do we get to the bottom of this? Yes. So the ones that the, yeah. So my shrimp chip, the one that I grew up with, is a yellow bag, and it has like red polka dots as trim. Uh huh. Hold on, hold on. Those are the and and apparently yeah. they sell them at Target, so you can get them at Target. What the f? Um, yeah, I know, I know. No, no, because the ones that I'm talking about are also sold at Target. Oh my god, I don't know how to get to the bottom of this, Chris. We can just we could just maybe find it and and ship it. Yeah, to each other maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So that's my number two. Okay, yeah. I love it. My number one is also a rice-based snack. It's called, in Korean, it's called sanja or kwajul, or it has different names to it. But it is essentially like, um, in the middle, it's kind of like this kind of gooey middle. Mm-hmm. And then and then it's like rice that's kind of surround, like kind of sticks to it. It's kind of sticky. Uh-huh. And it sticks around to it. And traditionally, you just bake it for a little, like, like it's baked. But if you go to a, Korean grocery store, they'll just be selling them like um, just as is. Uh-huh. Um, but I think the process is that they're baked. Um, so this is my number one, essentially, because um, a couple, a few years ago, I did like a family history project mm. and I interviewed my grandmother. And so she was telling me about her parents. So that's like turn of the century, essentially, right? That's like mm-hmm. 1900s, like eight, late 1800s. Mm-hmm. And so like a lot of Korean people back then, they owned a rice, like they were like tenant farmers. So they had like a rice paddy, they, rice paddy that they managed. And typically what people do is they just like, you know, you know, harvest rice and then sell it off. But what, what her father did was did that, but also as a side job, uh, and this took like extra time to do was they he would make these like rice snacks mm. and sell them in market. And so he had like an extra source of income through which he was able to like send my grandmother to get an education, which was like not fairly typical back then. Uh-huh. You know, it's not that a lot of women had access to ed- education back then, but she got to go to school because he had the proceeds from this like one snack. So wow. I found that story to be like very compelling. And so like every time I see it now, it's like, oh, it's like this nice like tie to history, Aww. you know, like this kind of like harkens back and it's like this snack that people were munching on in like the 1800s, you know, yeah. like, like 1890s or whatever. And it's like kind of passed down. So, you know, has like sentimental value to it. But it also, I would put that snack up against any of these snacks and I think it will do quite well. Ugh. It's like chewy. Yeah. It's like rice based. It's kind of sweet and savory, like a lot of these Asian snacks. So. Yes, I love that's my it. One. I love it. I can't wait to try it. I can't picture it, so I am very excited to try. Next time we see each other, which would probably be in New York, mm-hmm. we're having a snack. Oh my god, amazing. Chris! All my dreams, all my dreams coming true. I can't wait. Okay, so this was delightful, truly delightful. Um, I need to go out and buy. I have many things to buy this week, multiple grocery stores to hit. Um, but what should we talk about next time? Well, you know, I think it's kind of consistent, but um, I like this idea of hidden gems, mm. right? And I was thinking about it when we we're thinking about these snacks, like 
we were having these arguments like, have you tried this one? This one's underrated. This one's a hidden gem. So why don't we just have a broad catch-all top five about hidden gems? It could be hidden gem travel destinations, hidden gem restaurant in New York or in Ann Arbor,、mm-hmm. be a hidden gem food or cuisine that nobody likes to talk, nobody talks about a lot. You know, let's just keep it broad. I hidden love it.、Gems. Let's do it. Can't wait. This was fun. This was fun. Let's do it again sometime. See you in two-ish weeks. Two-ish weeks. Yes. Yay! <laughs>